Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Behind the Curtain, a Penn State podcast on Nittany Sports Now Network. He's Paul Murphy. I'm Jared Pugar. Murph, let's get after it. Context is everything. People don't know context clues now. And in this clickbait society, people are running with things without really reading the fine details. And that turned around to bite certain people for Penn State in the rear end this week. For those of you that are just tuning in, Penn State, James Franklin, amongst a million other things that went on in this press conference on Tuesday that we might not talk about, that we might talk about, I'm not quite sure. Maybe there will be a Hail Mary, I, I, or going deep, but there's definitely going to be a Hail Mary here in the third segment. Um, but he mentioned James Franklin mentioned strength of schedule, um, and he mentioned what teams were doing throughout the Big Ten. At no, at no point did he mention that, that it was that he was against it. In fact, he was actually giving compliments to it because guess what? That's the way that sports are training. That's the way that college football is trending. We've talked about this at length multiple times now. Why schedule power five teams or, or, or higher tier teams when it's only going to punish you if you lose? Yeah, absolutely. Um, everybody wants to point the finger at Penn State, um, and, and we'll get into the context there, just like you said. But you look at the power teams across the country. You look at Alabama. You look at Georgia. Um, they're playing teams that are FCS schools. They're playing teams, uh, for example, Penn State's playing UMass. And it all goes into the scheduling that especially it's even more important now coming up where, guess what? Now you have USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington coming into your conference. You're not going to start playing an Alabama or uh, even West Virginia or another team as part of your out-of-conference games because you need those wins. You need those wins now more than ever when you're going from a 12-team, 14-team to an 18-team conference. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, your your conference is so strong. I mean, you look at the top 10, and three of the top 10 – actually, three of the top six in the country are in the same – conference let alone the same division so that makes it tough but but the issue here isn't the schedule it's the fact that they took it and thought that there was something out of nothing when in fact he was giving michigan and let's be real it was michigan michigan's schedule is brutally easy and for good reason they want to go undefeated they want to make the college football playoffs it's much easier to go undefeated and your only loss is ohio state every year than you know, or, or, or to Penn State or, or whatever, then going 10 and 2, and you're losing to two teams that you shouldn't lose to. So, I mean, that's what's tough, but the context is everything. We, everybody just wants to, to jump at the first sign of, oh, he said something. Ooh, I'm shaking. Like, and my skin is curling. But it, it's just one of those situations where now, like, you've got to be able to read, comprehend. Oh, whoa. Okay, so this actually in context makes sense. You know, James Franklin is has a very, he's very poignant when he speaks. He's very, you know, determined and distinguished, and, and he knows the message he's trying to get across. We see that in every press conference or media availability that he has. It's about when he wants to talk about NIL. He talks about NIL. When he talks about the administration getting on board, you know, and, and being on the same page. He has a message when he speaks. 
And this one, hey, that he is absolutely right. That's the way things are trending. And that's where you're seeing some of these schedules come together. And it's quite an experience. Yeah, and, and a lot of times too, Zara, that what people don't realize too is, and, and I'm not going to make excuses for a, a Delaware or a, a UMass because it goes into what you're talking about. But people don't understand the fact that some of these schedules are made seven, eight years in advance. And sometimes when you schedule these teams, they're decent teams. Next thing you know, six, seven years later, some of these teams are not so good. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it comes into your strength of schedule. And I know we can, we can sit back here and we can go back to the year that, that Penn State won the, the Big Ten where, you know, they lost to Ohio State in the regular season. They beat Michigan. They needed Michigan to, to, to win, to go to the um, – I may have that backwards. Regardless. They got Penn smoked State, by Michigan. Yeah, they lost to they, Michigan and Pitt. That's right, and and then they beat, and they beat um, Ohio State, and then mm -hmm. Michigan in turn went. So Ohio State needed to beat Michigan. They beat Michigan. Penn State goes to the Big Ten championship. Penn State wins the Big Champion Big Ten championship, and Ohio State goes to the playoffs with 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 the one loss and and not the, the two losses that Penn State had. So the strength of schedule, and and I understand this, and, and this is interesting because. It was just an interesting debate yesterday on Twitter, a West Virginia fan, and you can tell he's, he's more of a fanboy than he is a common sense person, and, and he's hanging on Penn State's schedule. And I, I went through and I, I did some research, and I was looking up the, the strength of schedule that Penn State has uh, with them and for the last 10 years, basically. And when you start looking at their strength of schedule from like – 2013 to 2015, it was it was bad. It was pretty bad. It was in the 50s. But but since then, in the last seven years, the strength of schedule has averaged to be like 14th in the country with the strength of schedule. So with these super conferences being formed now, I think the strength of schedule is going to be not as much of a factor, especially if you're finishing in the top one or two of your conference. Because now they're going to be expanding to 12 teams. They take the top four. You know, I'm not quite sure yet how they're going to do that. But you have to play these teams. You have to. And when people start hanging on, and in particular pointing out this team, this team, this team, as much as I hate to say it, with the exception of Notre Dame, who does play the USC's, they play Pitt, they play Ohio State, they play uh when Stanford was, was kind of decent and they do play a, a better schedule. I will give them that. But moving forward, you need those games. You can't go into a season playing Michigan, Ohio State, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, Michigan. Well, I was going to say Michigan State, but we're not going to put them on there right now. Uh, but, but you're Wisconsin. So you're running a gauntlet of teams. So you have to have those teams. You have to. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, you have to have that. And I think it's great, you know, for the for local teams, for local schools, too. I know I mentioned this on the Lashing Out podcast. But, I mean, back to the context, like, you have to let things play out now. 
they like we saw this in, in Major League Baseball this week with Orlando Garcia um, saying about Attaboy Harper after Bryce Harper did something dumb to end the the only Braves win in the postseason, right? Well, Harper in the in the Phillies took it personally. Well, listen, if you if you don't want something to get out, don't say it in a room full of people in the clubhouse. They say the clubhouse is sacred, and yeah, there are things that you see in a clubhouse that you don't say or you don't report on. That's just natural journalism. But when you hear something out loud in the clubhouse, yeah, you're going to report on it. That's natural. That's reporters doing their job. Just like pitchers go out and pitch and give up home runs to Bryce Harper that don't land until they're in New Jersey or, or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's and, and you saw the stare now, and that is an iconic picture now in, in Philly's baseball history. And that's – but it's context, man. Like, and, and we saw Twitter blow up this week. Like, it was a bad week for media. Um, not maybe necessarily a bad week for media, but a good week too. Like as far as engagement goes, and we all love, you know, ourselves to me, and and that's, you know, if you don't want to talk and, and promote yourself, you know, it's a little different. As my dogs go crazy, they love it when I give my. They don't love it when I give myself attention, but compared to them, but you know, it, it's just one of those situations where now you take everything out of context, and you're not setting yourself up for success. This doesn't matter. This, whether it's a question to James Franklin whether it's a question from James Franklin or a statement from James Franklin or in a clubhouse or whatever, you've got to get the full story because it does you no good other than engagement. You don't get the whole story. And that's where things are starting to go awry in, in, in journalism and in really social media as a whole. Uh, you touched on something there. So in the last two weeks, in the last two weeks, Penn State coaches have managed to upset and rattle the cages of both Ohio State fans and Michigan fans. Mm -hmm. So last week it was Manny Diaz, and he said, I'm going to keep my comments to myself. And Ohio State fans yeah. go crazy, That's just right. like they did the week before with Lou Holtz. Now this week, mm -hmm. Franklin mentions a comment, now Michigan fans are all upset. So we have definitely set the tone for the two teams that they need to beat coming up here in the next month. Yeah, man. Thankfully, Don Brown didn't get upset when he said that uh, Michigan or that uh, UMass is the most explosive team they're going to face for right now. But that's the thing. Like, people are so soft now. And, and I think that's the shame of it all, right? Like, we're so worried about thin skin and saying the wrong things. You're, you're not getting this hard-nosed brand of journalism that people are necessarily used to. It's just one of those situations now where you got to watch what you say or it turns into this viral moment. And that's not what we want. That's not what news is about. It, it, people are so quick to rush to break news. doesn't matter how accurate it is. It doesn't matter what is, what is factually accurate or, or what have you. And that's what's unfortunate about journalism and what's unfortunate about the way that social media is starting to turn. Yeah, sure. Uh, a, a good example of that is kind of funny tonight was um... – the, the beat writer, Richard uh, Scarcella, tweeted out after the West Virginia game, West Virginia is moving to five to one. And, you know, that's a good or something they got on Penn State. And guess what? We'll touch on that later. But that tweet didn't age very well. It was 12 seconds left in the game. That tweet did not mm -hmm. age well. So, so, yeah, it's like the first to be out there, the first to be out there, the first to say something. And, um, but yeah, I agree with you. Uh, context 
reading the whole story, not just a clip. I mean, they do the same thing in politics, actually, uh, where you see things that are taken and this guy said this, but then you don't know the context of which that one statement out of five or six sentences are. And that's kind of what happened this week with, with mm -hmm. James Franklin. Yeah, and that's, and that's the shame of it. But, you know, context is everything. And we're going to get a little bit more deeper into a bunch of different things here when we come back on the Behind the Curtain podcast and the Sports Now Network after this break. Welcome back to the Behind the Curtain podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. He's Murphy. I'm Jared. Man, it, it, this, we, we talked about context in the first segment, right? And that's, that's, it's just so crazy the way that things have been going and how things have been trending. And it's frankly embarrassing, you know, when you're in the media, when things just, whenever, and when you're worried about clicks, when you're worried about views, you're worried about everything, but reporting the hard substantiated journalistic pieces that, that really make it matter. But that's the, and it's no fault of maybe necessarily the journalists because a lot of people are old school. Um, but it, it's just this new fab fad that's, it's what the kids, I guess the kids are, are enjoying these days. And that's what um, makes, that's what makes it tough because you can't defend James Franklin when people don't understand what he's trying to say. Right. And, and also as, as we both know, sometimes James Franklin struggles with what other people are trying to say and mm -hmm. trying to get a point across. And it just absolutely takes on a life of its own. And we saw that the last couple of days with a, a comment at the press conference that James Franklin came out and said, you're making my skin crawl. And I don't know what you're trying to ask me. And, and so, when you look at what that comment was, and, and essentially when you, when you listen to the comment and you hear, do you ever just tell your quarterback to go back and just chuck it deep, no matter what? And that is what started off a firestorm. Yeah, and, and, and listen, I, you know, I have a lot of respect for Corey Geiger and, I, and Corey and I are, are, are good friends and I owe a lot to him as far as my journalism career. And yeah, he came out and he owned it. He owned it. He phrased the question wrong. Now, James Franklin kind of, I don't want to say he jumped out of his throat, but when, when you take it, we talk about context, right? When you take it the way that Corey said it, and I don't know that obviously he didn't want, he didn't mean for it to come out this way, um, even despite getting another chance to say it, it's tough because yeah, nobody in their right mind is going to say, yeah, go back, chuck it deep and see what happens, right? You're you. That's just not football. That's not sports. It's not athletics, right? You're just, it's not like me sitting there telling Rob Crimmel at, at St. Francis, "Hey, when are you going to tell your guards to start short, start shooting from the midpoint line or from the from midcourt, so that you know you can get more baskets, you can make more points." It just doesn't make sense that way. So, you know, when you take it out of context again, you know, and and then you break down what James said, then he made my skin crawl and speaking Japanese. And yeah, is there a little dramatic there? Absolutely. But again, you know, it's just one of those situations where you phrase things a little differently and, and it and it turns out to be a different question. And just like, 
you you look at just a couple different ways to go about asking questions. You know, sometimes it's short, sweet, and the point, and sometimes you're trying to figure out the point that you're trying to make and the question you're trying to ask as you're saying it, and you kind of ramble. We ramble on this podcast all the time, but but that's sure. and that's human nature. Like that's normal. Now, do I agree that there that the death threats are okay? No, absolutely not. That's never okay in any way, shape, or form. Um, I, it's not fair to condone that, and I think that's severely unfortunate over a question um, that is a tad bit ridiculous. But at the same time, like that's we have so much access to the wrong things now, to to things that don't particularly matter that we think matter more than ever. And social media is is a big part of that, and that's what's unfortunate. Um, really when you look at it all and that's what's that's, and it, it sucks because it, i think we've gotten away from journalism and i know we're talking a lot about other things besides um football right now but it's just one of those situations where now you've got to watch everything you say everything you do everything you that every question you ask and that's not a great position to be in whatsoever. Yeah, I, I, I understand that where you're coming from there. Um, because like you said, sometimes you're formulating a question in your mind. And then in, in, in the case of the media, and, and you have a question, and, and maybe, you know, somebody else before you asks that question, and it gets answered. So now you're trying to come up with perhaps another question to offset the one that somebody kind of took, took from you. And, you know, you're kind of fumbling around and it comes out and it totally comes out the wrong way. And honestly, I, I, I know that, you know, we all know that there's uh, certain uh, media members that people are frowning on and look at, look down at somewhat um, because of their, just because some of the things and how they approach some of their, their press conferences and all that. But <laughs> when, it's not going to get a benefit of a doubt sometimes with that. And once that hit, I mean, it was just exploded. I mean, it went viral. Uh, Pat McAfee mentioned it on his show. Dan Levitard. Um, Rick so, Yeah, Rick Eisen. Exactly. So, you know, that 15 seconds, you know how people get their 15, you know, seconds of fame. And, and I'm not saying that that's what was the intent here, because it absolutely was not the intent. It, it wasn't. No. But next thing you know, now you're nationally recognized um, uh, with that. And, and that's a very good example of what you're saying is everything you say, everything you do, everything you let, it goes everywhere. Yeah, and that's the, that's the, that's the way things are now. And, it, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, it, there are a lot of things said in jest. And there are a lot of joking around, and you know, journalism is a, is a different type of fraternity. I think there's some quirks in it, and and you mentioned different writer styles. Well, not everybody reads things the right, like or interprets things that are said the same way. So what I say, and and something I write about the Penn State or the Altoona Curve or St. Francis football, you you might not interpret it the way that I want you to interpret it. That's human nature. We don't always interpret things the way it comes across. So you have to be clear in what you're saying. And and, and I think it's kind of, I, I don't know if I want to say it's trollish, but I did think it was kind of a, a funny gesture when the open period of practice on Wednesday was James Franklin throwing it deep and working on the deep ball, right? 
you know, that's, but James Franklin, for, for all his flaws, what minimal ones they are with the media, he, he is a very good person when it comes to that. I've spoken to a lot of members of the media when they've gone through something difficult or something where James Franklin will text them and, or call them and reach out to them. James Franklin is a very, very good dude. I think he means, means very well. Some of the things that he says, maybe people don't always agree with. That's, you know, but, but we go back to, to talking about the football aspect of it. Penn State hasn't needed the deep ball. They don't need the deep ball. They won't need it against UMass. It's going to be an ugly game, 3.30 kick, you know. But at the same time, and it's a shame because there's, there's a fear of going viral and there's a desire of going viral. And, and it's tough to, to teeter that line, right? You, you, want to, you want to get as, many, as much engagement as you want on your posts, on your feedback, on, your, on your, what, your work, right? Everybody wants to have that gratification, right? Everybody wants that, oh, yeah, look at that. Look at our numbers. And we talk about it all the time for our podcast. And we thank you all for tuning in, um, even though you don't always have to, right? But it, it's it's drawing that fine line and that's where journalism is heading. And that's why, you know, during this peak behind the curtain of, I guess, Penn state media, is a good way to put it. It's all about the, the context. It's all about those sorts of things. And it's just making sure that, you know, that your, your point is made and it's made in a way that is understood by just about everybody. And that's really, really hard to do. And, and the way that the world works right now. Yeah, uh, especially when you have people that have their favorites, they have their non-favorites when it comes to media. Um, you know, I, I'll be out there, you know, I see some of these guys, uh, Pat McAfee's one. I absolutely cannot stand Pat McAfee. Uh, to me, he's like the Howard Stern of, of broadcasting. Um, I, I just, I, I don't like his approach. I don't like, I, I just, I just don't. I, those people that absolutely love the guy, uh, I don't. And I've been seeing some of that. And when you talk about the media and I've been seeing some of these things with ESPN, you know, where ESPN game day used to be like a really good thing. Like it was really cool to see the guys and, and have everybody there. And now with some of these guys that they have on the show, it's, it's become a circus. It's become a circus. And, and I, I think they're trying to appeal to different, a, a different fan base, I guess you could say, because things are changing. Times are changing. Uh, approaches to, to the things are changing. And so when somebody kind of does say something out of uh, context, uh, yeah, they're going to get railed. They're going to get railed. And, and, and we saw that this week. And, um, you know, it is what it is. You, you dust it off, you move ahead. You know, the, the best thing you can do is just move forward, let it go, and be done with it. That's a good point. And, and you mentioned ESPN and game day. And, yeah, I mean, I haven't watched game day in years just solely based on the, what, I, what my job entails on Saturdays. But the thing is, they, they're driven by views. The, the ratings are what matter. That's why, going back to the schedule, that's why Penn State and Ohio State are at noon next week. That's why Penn State and Michigan are at noon in a couple of weeks. That's why Ohio State and Michigan are at noon. They're on Fox. Fox needs money. Fox wants money. They want ratings. That's just the nature of the beast. Everything is about ratings. Everything's about what are you watching? What are you looking at? Whether it's on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, face space or whatever Nick Saban calls everything, snap face or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about now. And that's not, that's not journalism. That's what like you, I've, there are so many times it's a clickbaity headline. Like, 
and then it's that's not what it was about at all or that's not how that went and that's what's unfortunate and and i think that's the shame of the way that things are trending but again back to espn all you do in the morning is you see which is when people are at work more often than not or should be at work right um you all the people are, are yelling at each other like Stephen a smith and skip bayless all the time shannon sharp and skip bayless like that's great man but i don't know what you're talking about yeah coward yep. like yeah that's great for them but again like tell me the news tell me what i want not what i want to hear but what i need to hear about certain things and i think if, if as journalists and as media personalities you can back to that you know like you mentioned pat mcafee i like pat mcafee the, the when he first started and it was on barstool it was great listening i i don't i can't get into it now because typically i'm working i, I it's on middle of the day and i i have i have a job to do believe it or not and not just podcasting from you know, as James Franklin mentioned, maybe my mom's basement. Um, so I will actually have in my house <laughs> an office in the basement, but it's not my mom's house by any means, not paid for by myself and my lovely wife. So it, it's just one of those situations, right? And, and it, that's, it's the shame of it now, um, which is unfortunate. But, you know, we get the people that yell the loudest are the ones that get heard the most. And, and that's not necessarily a good formula for journalism but enough about journalism we're going to talk about something that nobody is actually everybody can agree on and that's just the state of officiating right now when we come back from this quick break on the Nittany sports now network Welcome back to the third and final segment of Behind the Curtain on the Nittany Sports Now Network. I'm here with Murph, and this is Jared. Now, let's get into something. So Wednesday night, or I'm sorry, Thursday night, I don't even know what day it is, um, but we're with the, uh, the craziest game in the world, I think, to date happened with West Virginia going ahead with a long touchdown pass over Houston in the Dana Holgerson Bowl only for Houston to come back and get a Hail Mary, but it was because of a penalty that set the stage for all of that. Now, you can say what you want about certain penalties, but if I throw a touchdown pass like that in that moment, knowing what's at stake for this program was West Virginia, knowing that Dana Holgerson used to be there, spurned there for Houston, you know, in what world is West Virginia a worse job than Houston, or is Houston a better job than West Virginia, I should say, only to have be penalized, and then it cost the team the victory, giving Dana Holgerson, of course, his first Big 12 win over his former team. Yeah, what a, what a turn of events. Um, you know, that West Virginia got the ball back at, like, the 12-yard line with a minute, 27 seconds left, I believe it was, and, and, and no timeouts, or 117, no timeouts left. And of course, you know what's going to happen. Let's all go to the prevent defense. Why? 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 So, bang, 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 down the field, fourth and 10 from the 48-yard line, and touchdown. So, as a person, as you know, um, I do my parlays. And I had Houston plus two and a half going into that game. And they went up 39, 35, 12 seconds left. I'm like, 
game over. Game over. I turn it over to something else. Next thing you know, I get a text from three different people, two of whom are WVU grads. And I'm like, something happened. Something happened. I turned it back and I, I was able to watch it. And yes, there was a 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct called against Garrett Green after the touchdown the West Virginia scored with 12 seconds left. So they back come up to the 20th of the kickoff. Uh, Houston returns the ball up to about the 42-yard 40, line or something like that, and they threw one play. They had seven seconds left, got it out to the 48, and then Hail Mary time. So let's talk about that call. I personally did not see where Garrett Green picked up the penalty. He wasn't really shown on a replay. Um, and then he, they showed him on the sideline. He was jumping up and down. He was excited. He was yelling like 98% of all college and NFL players do. And so it's really hard to put a, you know, pick out the moment that the official felt it was the right time to throw a flag in that situation. So as a person who has officiated football, uh, officiated high school football for about nine years. Um, one of the things they tell you as you're being brought up through is, you know, if, if it's a penalty in the first quarter, it's a penalty in the fourth quarter. Um, I'm here to tell you that <laughs> context, right, Jared? You brought that up in the, in the first segment about context and stuff. If you have a game that's 63 to three, with two minutes left in the game, and there's a hold. Are you going to call it? Well, most likely you're not. Most likely you're not. Uh, the whole adage about, you know, you can call a hold on every play, things like that. So you have to know the situation. And uh, in my lifetime, I, I've seen other officials from, from other districts, uh, even out here in Arizona. I've been to a few football games. And and I will say this, I will say that District 6 officials are much better than what I've seen out here in Arizona. Um, but also in context is, I personally subscribe to the thing that you have to know your situation. You have to know your situation. But you got kids getting all excited and, and because of how that game was going and what happened. Now, I have to take this all back if he was literally out on the field, you know, saying something to another player on the other team, flipping somebody off, grabbing his crotch, AKA Baker Mayfield, you know, one of those things that's understandable. Uh, so I really don't know, but I think a lot of people have to know that you have to know the situation. It's about reading the room. It's about re being able to understand what's going on around you, knowing your surroundings. And for me, like I've and listen, I've coached, I've been on officials left and right. Like I, it, it is what it is. I mean, ever no, somebody's always going to be unhappy, no matter what call is made. Now, do I think that that officials are making it a lot about them recently? Yeah, absolutely. And again, it goes back to and ties into everything we talked about today about going viral, having your moment in the spotlight, about not understanding that context. So that's the thing for me that's crazy about like guys like Angel Hernandez. There's no reason why he should be able to do a lot of his jobs 
But now we have access to everything. We have scorecards, we have report cards on what everybody is seeing. Now these guys are getting efficient. They are getting good money and they're getting rated and ranked at all stops of, of what they do. But it's, again, there's, we have access to so much more information than we do now. Yeah, we are able to see that. And I think the K zone is probably the worst thing to happen to baseball because it's not always accurate, right? And, that, and that's, I think, taking it out of context. We looked at Paul Skeens when he debuted against Altoona, or for Altoona and got ro- not necessarily rocked, but he, some of the pitches didn't look like they were, they were balls. Um, well, it's just somebody pushing a button and it's not always accurate. So again, understanding so, what's going on is, is huge, both on the officiating side and the fan side. And listen, officiating is a tough job. It's not easy. Again, you're only going to make one group happy, you know, and, and that's one of the things that, that makes it a lot more difficult because you're, there's a lot of dig with most every call. Sure. I, and Jared, you say about reading the room and, and knowing, you know, I officiated some big games and, you know, Tyrone and Central back in the day when I was officiating was always a big game. And, you know, I will say this and, and, and a shout out to, to John Franco, but, you know, John Franco and his staff were always, um, you know, they were so easy to work for. Uh, John never raised his voice. He never got upset at things, you know, and then, you know, my first game that I ever did was a Northern Bedford game and Joe Nostasi was on the sideline. And I know that Joe Nostasi is notorious for working officials, big time. And Frank Swaga, as you know, Mr. Swaga to you, um, we were in the locker room at the first game and he looks over at me and he says, Murph, you're, all, you're awful quiet because I was on the sideline that Joe Nostasi was on. And I said, Okay, I know. He goes, but you're never quiet. <laughs> so, you know, what I'm getting at is I've worked with guys and, and, and I've seen guys that, you know, like you say, you have rabbit ears and, and coaches start chirping and coaches start doing stuff and, and out goes the flag, out goes the flag. And it never really bothered me when coaches started. In fact, you know, and this isn't a, you know, maybe this is a little bit uh, self-promotion here. In my entire life, uh, youth league, junior high, JV, varsity, district playoffs, only one time had I ever thrown a 15-yard unsportsman like on a coach. And that was uh, the coach from Forest Hills, Bailey. And it just doesn't bother me. And, and maybe it's because of my, <laughs> my penchant for, you know, chirping a lot when, when I was coaching or even when I was playing ball and stuff like that. But, you know, the heat of the moment, things like that, and, and, and officiating, and, and I want to bump from, from the high school level because these guys don't get enough credit at the high school level. Um, they're not making much money. You do it for the love of the game. For me, it was a way to be around the game as close as I could be to the game um, without playing. Um, it was great. Friday nights were great with the guys and you know, going, to, going to the games and driving up and, and talking about all kinds of things and coming back and hanging out at the Belmar you know, with guys. And but when you get into the, the college ranks in the NFL and, you know, tying this in when I said about the parlay, I absolutely refuse to place any bets on NFL games because right now, from what I've seen over the last three years in the NFL, it's just absolutely brutal when it comes to officiating. And I don't know, I don't know what can be done 
Um, as you know, a lot of these guys in the NFL, a lot of these guys in college have regular full-time jobs. I mean, officiating is not a full-time job for them. Um, but these guys now in the NFL, these players are so big. The game is so fast. It's all about positioning. It's all about being in the right spot. And, you know, I know last week I, I put I put something up and it kind of caught me off guard a little bit. And it was a reel on Instagram with the six second hold during the Chiefs game and the Jets game on a third and 15 where the guy from the Chiefs just literally held the guy for like five seconds and there was no call. And, and that reel is now up to like 2,400 likes because I put on the music of Hold On by Wilson Phillips to the, to the reel. So, you know, you look at the Chiefs and, and, and there was a bad call a couple of years ago when they played the Browns in the playoffs and, and, it, and it turned the game around. Last year, there was some bad calls in the Chiefs' favor against Buffalo. Then in the Super Bowl against the Eagles, same thing. Last week against the Minnesota Vikings, and I don't know if you have seen the replay of this, but on the last play that the Vikings ran on a fourth and 12, Kirk Cousins heaved it to the end zone. And the defender literally was holding the Addison in the end zone. They threw the flag. They came out. They start talking about it. That was one penalty. Two, the Chiefs defender took his helmet off because he was mad that they threw a, a penalty in which they did not throw the flag for that. And the third one was an obvious hands to the face on the Chiefs defensive player. So when you're looking at officiating and you're looking at betting, and I'm not saying these two things are mutually exclusive and tied together, but there just seems to be way too much going on that it makes me hesitant to put anything down. And, and the officiating right now is just, it's brutal. And, and you, know, you mentioned Angel Hernandez, and, and it goes with, with any sport, but it just seems in the last four to five years that things have just got worse at, at, the, at the collegiate and the pro level. And that's the thing. In, there, again, we have so much access to these guys now, which is both a blessing and a curse. But at the same time, there's so much at stake, too. There's so much money involved, their livelihoods. There's all kinds of different things involved. Now, again, by no means am I a saint with officials. I typically, as a head coach, am, am on them. I'm on them as an assistant coach as well. At times, I have been known to yell some things that are off the cuff. Um, much like yourself, you're no angel either. Um, Absolutely having, not. <laughs> having watched games from across the street from the roof of your car. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and that's the... It, we understand the officiating is thing. John Whitvet, right, for is a, the lone nemesis for the for Penn State um, in the Big Ten officiating world. But but again, you know, there's just so much context now to everything, and to tie everything back in, you know, everybody's got a job to do, right? And and but it, it's can you do the job to the best of your abilities? You know, I uh, I'm covering St. Francis flat, uh, Red Flash football, um, FCS school for the Altamira this year and it's a game tonight again this is d1aa and there are a lot of no calls and i'm sitting next to i'm running the, the scoreboard in the down and distance and I'm, I'm obviously writing the game um the game story as well i'm sitting beside two officials from the nec and and guys are talking and we're talking and we're like that's a good no call there's good back and forth it's not one way or the other it's letting players play it's happening sure. i mean being able to have that dialogue is good but like but you mentioned the NFL. There's so much money at stake, not just on in the game, but on the game 
as well. And that's what makes it difficult because, and I think that's why people are getting so much more passionate about it now is there are thousands, if not millions of dollars at stake with a, with a single given call, you know, and, and unfortunately it does not help teams like Dallas when they get beat 42 to 10 by the 49ers, you know, but I have to give a shout out to, to my boy, Kevin Gibbons, uh, Altuno alum. You, you were fortunate enough to coach him. Um, but he had a fumble recovery and had a really nice game against the Cowboys against his former teammate, Micah Parsons. Yeah. Um, he had a, he had a sack. He had a big sack later in the game. Um, and, and that as well. And, and I, you know, I posted that up on, on my Facebook account, you know, and I, I make the joke, you know, this is the, uh, the first NFL player I ever had to recover the fumble in the NFL. And this is the first NFL player I ever coached that, you know, had a sack and, you know, I had Kevin in fifth and sixth grade and, and, and he was just a, a, a pleasure to be around. I mean, the kid never said two words the whole time. Um, very, very calm. Um, in, in fact, when he was there, he was a little bit, he was a little bit timid because he was so strong that, you know, these kids are 11 and 12 and Kevin's just throwing them around like ragdolls, you know? Uh, but as you know, he, he went to Penn State, you know, he committed to Pitt and then uh, was it two or three days before signing day, he flipped his commitment to Penn State, left early and, and, and now he's become a, a bit of a rotational player for the 49ers. And, and honestly, I think uh, from what I've seen so far this year, I would put, my money on the 49ers to be the team that wins it all this year because they're solid both on offense and on defense. Um, but yeah, you, you talk about officiating and then you talk about blunders and, and such, and, and you can't forget the Miami game last week. Um, oh. So, you know, oh. for context, of, I'm sure our listeners already know, you know, third down and 10, 37 seconds with eight seconds left in the play clock. You snap the ball, you kneel, game's over. It's a 40-second play clock. No, let's run a play. The guy runs a play, fumbles the ball, Georgia Tech gets the ball back, and in two or three plays, they score a game-winning touchdown. And then, a couple of days later, what do we find out? The officials blew the call. His, his elbow was down, the ball was still secured, and then the ball came out. But, Jared, as you said, today, these things happen in real time. Boom. I get that. But they went to a replay. How do you miss yeah. that on a replay? Nobody, well, that's the other thing, saw. too. Right. You, we mentioned replays. But also, how many times are you going to back your guy for not for, – for the call? Like, you're not going like, – especially in baseball, right? Okay, well, is this, is this guy out at first? Well, he has it out, so I'm going to go with my guy. Over the over the course of hey well maybe this was something else you know there's there's so much at stake here and it, and it ends up being so subjective you know we can argue balls and strikes I don't know that robot umpires are the the right moves I'm sure there will be some flaws with that but at the same time something's got to give either they got to step up their game or they got to figure something out because the way that it, the state of umpiring and officiating now is getting drastically worse. And now there's no feeder system. Nobody wants to do it because of jerks and parents yes. and, 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 and kids that are entitled. And that's the shame of it all. Because there's so much now, it goes down to six and seven-year-old baseball. Like I've, I've been in youth sports my entire life, not as a player. I think I should probably clarify that. But 
Um, but as, as, as a professional and, and also a player, and it's, it's getting ugly. And it, the, the best way to watch a game is honestly with the parents at home. And that's a shame to say, but, but you, you got your grandma out there. She's throwing back transfusions and you're getting on the first base umpire about a call that you had no business understanding or knowing. And I think that's the other thing too. It's like, again, to, to go back into the context of the rest of this podcast, it's, you've got to understand the situation, you know? Yeah. Obviously there's a job to do, but you are responsible for upholding every aspect of that job and doing that sure. job. And when you don't, then yeah, absolutely. You should, you should get crap for it and you should be reprimanded. Now, do they reprimand these guys for missing calls? Yeah, they do. But we don't always hear that. And we don't always know that because there's no transparency, but you know, that's kind of a nice way to nice little way to wrap it up for uh, the behind the curtain podcast is we, you know, we talk about context clues and we talk, it's like a reading lesson and, and comprehending things and then being transparent. It's like I'm giving an English lesson to, to my constituents at school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, coaching is a thankless job. Officiating is a thankless job. Um, and you hit the nail on the head and Jared, and obviously you very well of my coaching exploits back in the day. Um, you know, we all, we all had our, our sheets and Fiori battles and, and, and they were great times. And, you know, Jimmy Kohler and I always said we should get together and write a book about all the things that we experienced while we were, while we were coaching with all stars and, and all that kind of stuff that, that, that happened. And I will say this, I have noticed in the years that I had stopped coaching and I see things now and it's just, and, and this will not be popular with the mainstream parents and crowd now. But I think that one of the worst things that ever occurred was the must play role. And I will stand by that to the day I die. Judd, as you said about yourself, I too was not very good in Little League. I had nobody to teach me. My dad didn't like sports. Um, I got cut in Little League. I got cut. 11-year-old year. 12-year-old year, year I went out. This was in State College. And I made the B team as a 12-year-old, which is like the minors at AABA. But somehow I got a break. Kid broke his arm. I come up. I pitch. Whatever. But my parents didn't complain. My parents didn't go after the coach. My parents didn't go to the principal and the administrator and, and the, the AD of a school and say, hey, why isn't he starting? You know, who cares that he's getting the third most minutes on the team? Why isn't my kid starting? So, you know, I see it in Little League, and we're going to take our kid and go somewhere else. And, okay, you know, Rich Quartok coached with me, and, and I know that George Conrad had asked me, he said one of the best things he ever saw was – but I told him, if you don't like the, the way I do things here, you're more welcome to take your son somewhere else. And, and it's just a lot of people don't subscribe to that. We all know in this time, in this era, that it, that's a thing of the past. Um, and it, I can't say it's all been for the better with, with, with what we've been seeing. It, it was too much entitlement. Right. Everybody, everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to do this. Everybody wants to do that. Everybody thinks that everybody is going to be – a major league baseball player. Everybody thinks that they're going to go play in college and do this and do that. And that's really hard to do. It's only a select few. Um, yeah, we see the hundreds that do that on a daily basis, but 
Again, that's only hundreds uh, out of millions. And it's difficult, right? But again, that's why we all do what we do. We all do what we're strong at. And, and yeah, and when you're at work and, you know, the, the argument is like, well, I wouldn't come and boo you. Well, if I'm doing my job, I want to, if I'm not doing it well, I want to be told. Like, I, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm naive enough not to think that I'm doing a bad job. But again, that's, you know, that's just the, the nature of, of sports. It's the na- nature of athletics now. You know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, which is both a blessing and a curse. And now everybody has an opinion because they have social media and everybody thinks that opinion is okay. Um, and, and, and tying this back into, into the media and the journalistic side of it, sometimes it's, it's, it's wrong. Sometimes, yeah, people report things that are wrong. Sometimes people report things that are right, but they don't get the credit for it. And that's, you know, it, it's kind of the shame oh. of it. But I think, you know, at, at the root of it, sports are not going away anytime soon. I don't know if we'll get better anytime soon or, or get worse. I can only hope that it gets better, but it's not trending that way. But instead, we at least have a platform to talk about it. And we do thank you, as always, for tuning in to the Behind the Curtain podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. But before we go, what's your prediction for UMass? A lot of rain and a lot of I, – I really don't think we're going to see much. I think the weather's going to hold off. I'm going to go 38-7. to 38-7. I have it 49-3. I want to see some right. And we will definitely have plenty to talk about next week leading up to the Ohio State game. That's right. James Trahill mentioned uh, on his radio show, somebody mentioned about Columbus, and he was like, ah, you mentioned a, a destination, right? And, uh, but I'm so focused on, on UMass. And right now, <laughs> our focus is on UMass as well. The mind's about to be on that food that I'm going to eat on Curtin Road before the game and Graham's up in smoke barbecue. But we'll see how that goes. So for former, this has been Jared Prigar on Little Behind the Curtain podcast on the Sports Now Network. We thank you as always for listening, and we'll catch you again next week.